fucking get it. What up, UFC fans? And welcome back to another episode of the Calf Kick Experience. Here in our regular format, just me, your host, Zach. You don't mess with the Zohan Gleason. Here with my co-host as usual, live from the Gulag, Gage Hamby. We're repping our Letterman jackets. I got my 2015 gold state championship medal, the high school hero edition, drinking a little proper 12, the official whiskey of the UFC, and just freaking pumped for the card this weekend. What you feeling like, Gage? Well, first of all, a little preface on what we're wearing our Letterman's. Um, we got taken to school last time we fucking did this. We lost every – oh, I almost lost every fucking pick I made. So I was like, let's fucking throw it back. I got to be taken to school again. And uh, we're coming at you live with some fucking good picks this week. And I think yeah. we're fucking locked in. Locked in. Oh, yeah. Big card this weekend. Big money, big picks, big balls in Cowtown. Looking forward to the future. We made friends, obviously. We're likable guys with our guest, Mr. Brendan O'Reilly. So looking forward to the future. Y'all expect to see him here back more often, more regularly, hopefully giving us the pro's perspective on some big pay-per-view main events. But I guess since you brought it up, we both got our asses kind of handed to us last week. So we got to look at last week and humble ourselves talking about what went wrong. What went Let's wrong see. We didn't pick right. Let's just we'll, – we'll breeze over the first one. Jai Herbert, Jai Bear, my dude, I went all out for last week. Can't wrestle. He trains with Leon and Fabian Edwards. No offense, but the British dudes don't wrestle very well. Sorry, Bisping. Yeah. I don't know what it is about them British fellows. They can't hang with the American wrestlers, even though, you know, whatever. But he got he lost. We lost. We're in this together. Yep. Can't take our picks back. Yep. Then we split on Andre Feely, the big eye poke, no contest. But I think the big thing for me there, and the big thing we got to talk about is Daniel Pineda, he's a tough motherfucker. That's a badass dude. He got yeah. the crap kicked out of him. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, was on my, I was on my toes for sure, the, on the edge of my seat regardless. Because I mean, if that went to a decision, I would have lost. I mean, I, I think we both – lost because there's no contest but like yeah a daniel paeta tough son of a bitch no doubt about it shout out to him but uh andre feely came out and looked phenomenal like was, uh, he was dominating that fight all uh, all throughout pretty much so no yeah andre feely got about top knuckle deep in daniel paeta's eye socket and Pineda's eye was swollen shut, and he was still trying to guess how many fingers the judge was holding up, still trying to get back in this fight, saying he was fine. So, I mean, all the props in the world to him. Dude's a warrior. But going off your point, like what you just said, Andre Feely, his striking looked phenomenal. I mean, that that fight wasn't going to go to go to a decision. He was going to finish him sooner rather than later. But, you and know, this it's is not, – It's not like Pineda was a wrestler. He was, he was a striker, he was a brawler, and he just got completely outclassed by uh, Andre Feely. I mean, yeah. shout out to him. Uh, he's on the rise, although he's had – I think he lost the thug nasty Bryce Mitchell. But regardless, he's on the, he's on the come up. He's 
definitely a good fighter and should have some hype behind him. Yeah. No, uh, I, I forgot about old Tim the Dirty Bird, Tim Means. We both ended up hitting on him last week. You know, not necessarily because of the piston of the jab, but because the dude's a veteran. He's a warrior. Mm-hmm. Nicholas Dalby fought hard, but well-deserved victory for Tim Means surviving that last round and just holding it out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tim Means, veteran, knows how to get it done, got it done, and that's another paycheck in his bank. I was about to say, another fight for him to get now. Mm-hmm. You know, not, oh, my God, this guy's got to be gone. He's 38 years old. We got to get rid of him. He obviously showed he's still got a little bit left in the tank for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what, I mean, good uh, on us. On that, the dirty bird. So good on us. One, yeah. one good pick last week, maybe two. That's the next one, homie. Oh, the next one. This is this is the one you beat me on. We split here. Timur Valia defeats Roni Barcelos by majority decision. That fight was closer at the end, and you know, majority decision is a fair score, I think, in my book. But I think we saw the coming out party for Timur Valia. That dude looked like an all-star. Yeah, dude, he looked great. I mean, heavy hitter, especially for that weight class. I mean, what else can I say? I mean, he came out close fight. I mean, Barcelos came out at the end, like you said. But um, I just think that uh, he called that one wrong, pal. He lost some yeah, I was about there. to say. Everybody knew Timur Valiev could wrestle. You know, that was what I think scared me going into this fight was that it was going to get taken to the ground and that we were going to see ground and pound. We were going to see it get grounded, grinded out, you know. But Timur Valiev really shocked me with how well he did on the feet. His striking looked crisp. He was getting to the point. He was getting to his spots. And, I mean, at, at points, Roni Barcelos just looked stunned. He just, I mean, he He's wasn't a- throwing. And he's one of those guys that, like, I thought he might have, this might have been his coming out party, excuse me, but, you know, at 33, 34, however old he is, I think we're seeing somebody who got a late start on the game and may or may not be aging themselves out of contendership. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but it just looked like there was a big power difference in that fight. Like, it looked like Tamur was stunning him a lot more than, you know, when Barcelos was landing clean. There was a big oh, yeah. power Barcelos had a big, big second round, almost got the finish, had dropped him and was laying punches on the ground. But just like you said, the jab for Valia had some snap on it. All those punches, like you said, just seemed to, like, stop him, like keep him cold, keep him flat-footed, keep that head from moving so something else could follow. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, think I think we all saw that and kind of agree with that at the yeah. end of the day. So yeah. that, that was the Comey. No, the co-main was Tanner Bozer. We both hit on that. Big knockout on OSP. Big knockout. I mean, he smoked that dude, but not without a little bit of controversy. Did you end up reading up on that? I did not. Tell me a little bit about that. So first, Cormier tried to call him out in the second round, or yeah, in the second round for using the cage, for grabbing the cage and getting away with one. You watch the film back on it. He uses his fist. But the real controversy, what I was hinting at was OSP said somewhere in that second round where he was on top that a ju- that, that the ref touched him. And he was like, well, when I felt the ref touch me, I stopped. And when he said, he said, when I stopped, that changed the swing of the fight. And then I got knocked out. So I'm not really sure what kind of legal procedure or what they're going to do for that. Cause I'm not necessarily sure if they can overturn the outcome at this point, but I mean, 
crazy bit of drama. Uh, I think you bring up a good point saying that uh, Cormier was saying, like, oh, the reason Tanner Bozner won that fight was because he grabbed the fence when he obviously did not grab the fence. He just somehow ended up sticking his knuckles in the fence. Which that was cool. Maybe, it was a cool move. Yeah, yeah. It's not illegal by any stretch of the means because it doesn't necessarily give you an advantage, even though in this situation I think it did. But it helped, know, but it wasn't just, illegal. It, it's sappy when fighters want to like make excuses for their losses, especially when you get knocked the fuck out. Like saying that the referee touched you and that changed the swing of the fight. I don't necessarily agree with that because you know. What's the first thing they say? Protect yourself at all times. And I mean, unless instructed otherwise. And like, they make it abundantly, they'll literally push you off of yeah. your opponent if, you know, they deem the fight to be over via TKO, right? Or yeah, submission. Even when they're standing you up, even when they're saying, you know, this position's not being advanced by anybody. Yeah, stop, stop, stop. Yeah. Like, there's definitely multiple cues that leads you to get off of somebody other than just like the maybe incidental like fingertip brush that might have happened to OSP. You know, the refs, I'm glad that they're like in that position to be close and to watch that, you know, position advancement. So maybe he did accidentally get touched, but I, I'm with you. I think it's a bad excuse. I think Tanner Bozer looked like the real deal. He's got brick hands. He hits hard as fuck. And OSP caught the bad end of that. You know, honestly, I was, like, feeling kind of – that was one of the fights I was like, ah, like, picking Tanner Bozer, but I don't know if I feel super confident about it. But, you know, I ended up uh, – I think we both actually ended up winning that one and coming out on the right side, so good shit. Yeah, if it wouldn't have been for the no contest, we both would have been three and three last week. We both would have been just, eh, yeah. you know, but – now that we're looking at it, the main event, you got me here. You tie-broker me again in a fight night main event. Surreal Gone defeats Alexander Volkov by unanimous decision, and only one judge gave Volkov one round. So what were your immediate thoughts on the fight? What what did it look like to you? Give me the uh, breakdown, Gager. Well, I thought, like, honestly, like, it was a lot closer than a unanimous decision, in my own opinion. I thought that – uh. Volkov could have inked out at least two rounds. I don't think he won three. I think he could definitely inked out two rounds on some uh, judges' scorecards. But, you know, at the end of the day, Cyril Gaon came out, put the put the work on him, put the pace on him, looked light on his feet as always, employed the Muay Thai kickboxing, all that shit. And it was just like a dominant striker, you know. Um, he played his game in and out. Touched him up, got out, didn't get really damaged too badly at, at all in the fight. So, um, Alexander Volkov, I don't think he was able to manage the distance the way that he wanted to in that fight. No, I, I, I we have to talk about the interim heavyweight belt that they just made after this. We have to get into that whole shebang as much as we don't want Championship five-minute round. <laughs> However, I... I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't consider myself to be, but I like to look at things from different perspectives. And maybe it was because Gon got so much trash from the Rosen strike fight and people said he didn't look aggressive. 
but he looked a lot more aggressive on Saturday. He was willing to not just dance and try to counter Volkov and try to, you know, mimic his style and move. He was putting the pressure on his jab looked electric. He was controlling the fight, controlling the distance, how he wanted it to be done. And my conspiracy theory at this point is he, Dana had to have told him something. He had to have said, you put on a good performance here. We justify you fighting for a belt. So wink, wink, you know what I'm saying? But I yeah. mean, the guy looked good. It was, it was very close to dominant and I'm with you. I think Volkov maybe won the first round. And then I believe it was the fourth round that he came out and tried to start, you know, throwing some big punches, trying to start increasing his output. But I mean, at the end of the day, surreal gone is in such good shape, his output and efficiency, his ability to just touch you up. I, I just don't think there's anybody like that in the heavyweight division. Absolutely not. I mean, Volkov is a great fighter. Once he, figured out how to stop takedowns and kind of mitigate that game, that hole in his game. He became a way better fighter. And, yeah, we'll get into him later. He has uh, common opponents. But, uh, you know, I just – I think, you know, obviously I think the UFC is pushing Surreal gone because he's an undefeated heavyweight, which the UFC has – I don't think really has ever, like, put all their eggs in one basket. Like, hey, this guy, he's the next big deal. I mean, maybe yeah. like Brock Lesnar when he first started coming in. Yeah. Like a guy with 9-0 and, and what, three or four fights in the UFC yeah. now. Um, they, they're they're pushing him hard. And, like, I think that they just want to give both of these fighters validity in the whole Francis Zaganu versus John Jones saga. I just, I just mean everybody got what they wanted there. Like, my last point on the fight for sure is that I was incredibly impressed because Jairzinho Rosenstrike is a high-level kickboxer. He's a great kickboxer, and we just saw him get a knockout last month or two months ago. You know, we just saw him knock out Sakai. So you can't, you know, you have to validate the Rosenstrike win because it's aged well at this point. But beyond that, Volkov is an incredibly high-level kickboxer as well. A different style than Rosenstrike, less flat-footed, more aggressive, you know, not as typical heavyweight, if you may. But, you know, Gone outclassed both of them. Gone's gone five rounds now twice since February. So twice this year he's gone five rounds. And I just – it's it's hard not to – what are you going to do with him at that point if you're not going to give him this big fight? Maybe Curtis Blades, but Blades Stipe. and Rosenstrike have business. Stipe, I mean, we can get in this another day in time, but uh, I think that we pretty much hammered that one down. Yeah. Still gone one in both of our minds. So, 100%. Yeah, no, one last point I definitely have to make about Surreal Gone. It's something that we see ourselves saying more and more regularly on this show. We learned from Brendan the Badger O'Reilly to have a little bit of confidence and say, you know, some of these guys, Butterball Barnett, I don't care if you come find me. I'm in Katy, Texas. Do it. But Surreal gone, I'm not fucking that dude up. So, Surreal, please don't come find me for saying you look like Tarzan and fight like Jane. I might say it again before you fight Derek Lewis, but for the time being, I take it back. So, that being said, I think we kind of have to leave our losses in the past and look forward. Big money, big money, no whammies. Uh, take me to the first fight, Gage. UFC 264 on Saturday, July 10th. What are we looking at? Tasty. 
tasty. This card is fucking amazing. This card was a woman. She'd be Margaret Robbie. That's how oh, fine this card is. <laughs> start, we start off with our boy, Sugar, Sean O'Malley. Let me just tell you, we're big fans of you here. And we fucking love to watch this guy fight. If you ever seen Poetry in Motion, this definition in the mixed martial arts game. Welcome to the Sugar Show, baby. You know, a lot of people like to say, oh, there's this hype around Sean O'Malley because he's a character. He colors his hair. He does the rainbow. He's a very unique personality. I think that's why the UFC finds it so easy to market the guy. But just from a skill perspective, he's one of the best kickboxers in the 135 division. And technically speaking, might be one of the better kickboxers in the promotion just flat out. The dude's got serious skill and serious power. The, it it's fucking criminal that this guy is not ranked. Coming in at thirteen and zero, <clears throat> cough cough. I know this is thirteen and one. We're not. We're yeah, it's thirteen and zero. It's thirteen but, and zero. But he's coming in the bantamweight division. That's one hundred and thirty-five pounds for you casuals. Five uh, eleven with a seventy-two inch reach. He's uh quite tall for being one hundred and thirty-five pounds, and it it shows in his fights. Uh. Coming off a win versus Almeida, coming off a not a loss versus Marlon Vera, but uh, that's not a loss. Take it back. It's not a loss. Um, <laughs> knockout Eddie Wineland, you know all of this stuff. Like I mean, guy's phenomenal. His record shows it. He's electric. He's literally the next closest, next youngest thing to Conor McGregor. Like he's on the path to fucking stardom. And you heard it here first. He's the next Conor McGregor. He just has to keep on doing what he has to do. Now, his opponent, the guy that's making his UFC debut, Chris Moutinho, coming at nine and four, um, five five seven. So there's a big uh, four inch height disadvantage and a two inch reach disadvantage for him. Uh, and he's going off two wins here. But he's never found the UFC and fought on these lower promotions. So it's going to be interesting. But I'm just going to put this out here now. It's big balls in Cowtown time. Zach, where are the odds? Hold on. Because they're bad. I mean, I, I can tell you right now, Sugar Sean is going to be minus 800 or higher. So, I mean, it's going to hit. Let's just be honest with ourselves. It's going to hit. Where's it's a great... It's, I'll pull it up. It's a great parlay pick, and it's absolutely something that I see value in if you're going to play it next to other things. And even if you're not, put all your money on this card and make it like betting Trevor Lawrence to go number one to the Jaguars. Sean O'Malley is minus 800 even, but, I mean, I mean, it's just – that's just like logic. It makes so much sense. This guy's never fought in the UFC before. Late minute replacement hasn't been in camp, hasn't been training to fight Sean O'Malley. So he's coming off a fight that his his opponent Chris Martino's last fight was May twenty eighth. Mm-hmm. So he hasn't even had that much time to recover, even though he's coming off a win. Um, but give us some uh, some some not tasty prop action. Yeah, prop. Don't give us don't prop. mind if I do, because let's just let's just you know call a spade a spade, say it how it is. 
This guy, what's his name? Chris Moutinho. I have to call him by name because I respect the shit out of this dude. He's got massive, big old meaty clackers swinging between his legs. Respect the world out of you for stepping up to fight Sugar Sean O'Malley on short notice. But poor guy, this is just not going to work for you, man. Uh, fight doesn't go to decision at minus 450. Not great odds, but if you parlay those together, you get better odds. Um, I'm not 100% bullish on minus 170 that the fight's under one and a half rounds, but I'm not unconfident in it either. I could absolutely see that hitting. And then um, well, the just big one. With your point here, man. I mean, we saw Sean O'Malley literally walk away from a TKO win in the first round in his last fight. So like, there's no no sense on Ben on that because he literally let the man up and continued to beat the shit out of him for two more rounds and then said, oh, let me, let me finish you in the third round. I'm done with you. And oh, just- yeah. I definitely think the tastier prop, the tastier bet here is that O'Malley wins by TKO minus 275. So let me just... Let me just go to my little bet calculator and make us a little prop bet on, let's see, the fight doesn't go to decision. The fight ends by TKO and O'Malley wins money line. I mean, it's not going to give me great odds. I can tell you that, but I don't think it's going to be the worst thing we've done yet either. Minus 800. Minus, let's see, 425 was one of them. Minus 450 and minus 275. Needless to say, people, we're fucking very confident Sean Malley's going to get this done. You could pencil us in the shock, almost more than shock, if he didn't win. And we <laughs> are so fucking confident that he is going to win. So, I mean. Look, we're so have- confident that he is going to win that it's not a massive payday by any means. But if you have 100 bucks to wipe your ass with, you can almost double your money. You can win eighty-seven fifty by parlaying all three of those bets that I just told you. Easy money. Big balls in Cowtown. All right. It's an $87 parlay of a $100 bet. Yep. What, what O'Malley winning? Now, O'Malley money line. The fight doesn't go to decision, and O'Malley wins by KO or TKO. I mean, I, that, that's as good as you're going to get. I mean – I just I, I don't see this fight playing out any other way. No offense to my boy Chris, because you are my boy now. We'll, we'll try to get Chris Moutinho on the podcast. Hopefully, Chris y'all Moutinho's get on and watch that. Fucking balls kicked in this weekend. Poor guy. I just I don't. I haven't watched any tape on him. I haven't watched any film. But that's just can't. because I just don't think can't. That he's going to be able to keep it. I don't think he's going to be able to keep up with Sugar Sean. The Sugar Show all day. You know where I was about it. to say, hammer down, big balls in Cowtown. We're freaking confident on this one. We're going to start the main event, the main card, excuse me, off 1-0. So take us to the next fight, Gage. What do we got coming up after that? All right, pal. Come in next. We have the ladies in the bantamweight division. We have Irene Aldana coming in at 12-6. Uh, five nine with a sixty-eight and a half inch reach. She is coming off a loss to yes, the infamous Holly Big Dick Holmes. Yes, yep. you may know her as the lady that ended pretty much fucking Ronda Rousey's career. 
Anywho, yeah. she uh, she's top five, I believe, bantamweight, which is one thirty-five. Once again, in the women's division. Yes. Uh, she's she's a fun, she's pretty good. She's technical striker, but we'll get our picks a little bit later. Uh, yeah. But first, we have to talk about Foxy Yana Kanitskaya from that fourteen and five, the sexy Russian. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say I didn't know if her name was actually Foxy or if you had made that up. I mean, look at this. I mean, hmm, Foxy, I say. Hey, you. <laughs> Same rank, sixty-eight and a half, uh, five six. She's also married to the fucking Greek statue known as uh, Tiago Santos. Anywho, uh, coming off two wins, they both have a common opponent, uh, Ketlin Vieira, which they both won. Yes, they both beat her. So, yeah. And she has respectable wins. Her loss to Chris Cyborg, obviously. I mean, not many people are being Chris Cyborg. Lady Vanderlei. Yes. Vanderlei, <laughs> Silva, and Heels, and Lipstick. <laughs> Anywho. Anywho. Uh, Back, back to our fight predictions. So, Zach, Yana or Irene? What are your thoughts? I got to go Irene Aldana here. I watched both of them fight. I watched multiple of their fights, especially the shared fight against Caitlin Vera. And I'm just, I'm not all that impressed with Yana Kanitskia. I, I think she definitely has some skill, so no disrespect intended, but... For the 135ers, being one of the heaviest women's divisions, she doesn't hit very hard, in my opinion. I don't think she moves incredibly well. Like, I don't think she's putting out incredibly high output numbers. I just, I think Irene Aldana is going to move well. I think she's going to touch her up. And I've seen her put the power on people. So if Yana gets caught with anything, I think she's going to go down. Am I going to bet on that? No. But solely based on the fact that Yana Kanitskia got a decision win over Caitlin Vera after I thought she did not win that fight, left a bad taste in my mouth. So I'm going Irene Aldana, and I'm locking it in. You know, when I watched that fight real time, I really thought that she, Yana lost that fight. She did Agreed. not. She did not, however. But I did – going back and I watched this earlier today, yes – Aldana did knock out uh, Vera, and she showed tremendous power. However, she was not winning that fight up until she knocked out Vera. She was getting touched up, and like that, it scares me when a fighter just walks through everything and does like the the turtle position. Like I, I'm not a big fan of that. Like, like she shows head movement. Until she gets in the pocket and tries to throw. Yeah. But that that's an issue for me. Also, um, she had good takedown defense. And like, I they both say, have pretty respectable takedown defense. Yes. I see this being a stand-up fight myself. I see it being a stand-up fight. But the, this is where I see um, – I think Yana Kinnisky is going to win this fight. She's going to win this via cage work and up against the octagon. Uh, I think the clinch work is going to be uh, just kind of her main tactic here. I think she's going to pound her in and get her in deep um, with elbows, get up in close, you know, not stay at range because Aldana is a very technical striker. Um, 
I think she can take her down, and I think she can hold her down. She's Yana. She's not heavy. I'm not trying to say she's fat or anything, but she can hold down an opponent, and she's very strong. And no, I agree. That, I think that's going to be her game plan. And I, like, you saw that from Vera, because Vera's last fight was against uh, Yana, and she was like, I'm not trying to get knocked out again because she just got knocked out by Adana. So I, I, I just see it going that way. I think there's going to be a lot of clinch work in, involved. It might be a boring fight. I'm going to take Yana here. No, yeah. My only real caveat there is I've, in my own head, I think Yana is going to have a more difficult time transitioning to the clinch from just the open footwork yeah. stand-up yeah. because Aldana's footwork on the feet is pretty technical. So, if anything, I am kind of leaning towards something where later in the fight somebody will get clipped. I'm not really sure. I'm going to go Aldana with the clipping and the victory, but – couldn't be couldn't be any less surprised if it went the other way. Yeah, Especially, I mean, I mean I, looking at the odds, everything's close this week, man. The second biggest favorite, minus the Sugar Show, who, again, is fighting a short-notice replacement, is minus 225. Everything on this card is in the 100s pretty much. It's very close. And here we're looking at Konitskia is a plus 100 dog. And Aldana's only a minus 115 favorite. So it's about as close to even money as you can get. Did you say plus 100? Plus 100. Damn. That's even money, eh? Pretty close. Plus 110 both ways. Oh, oh, plus 110. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see there being a huge favor. Like, there's money being made here. However, I, in my opinion, I think that Yana's gonna kind of pull us out because she's she's gonna eat some shots, she's gonna get in tight, and she's gonna force it to the cage. But I think we differ here. Well, I was about to say, agree to disagree, my friend. But I think that segues us into the big boys. Take me to the heavyweights, Gage. Sir, yes, sir. All right, we got Ty Tuivasa, aka Bam Bam, coming in at twelve and three. This tank of a fucking human, man. Coming at oh, yeah. That's a big two. boy. Yeah. That's a big man. 6'2", with a 75-inch reach. Uh, fighting a familiar name, if you're familiar with the NFL, former All-Pro Prince of War, Greg Hardy, coming at 7'3". He's also coming at 6'5", 2-inch height advantage, and 85-and-a-half-inch reach. Uh, let's see what his reach is. 75. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a significant reach advantage. But one thing I always say about MMA is it really doesn't matter. There's Any given a multifaceted game. You, there's a lot of easy ways to negate a big reach like that. Anywho, Any given Saturday, amigo. Absolutely. Going into Greg Hardy, uh, his, his former fights, I mean, it's coming off a loss where he was – dominating Marcin Tibor, who we saw a couple weeks ago get dubbed. But, uh, yeah, he was dominating him in the first round. It kind of gassed out a little bit in the second round, took a break, and that's kind of when he got caught and taken down. Uh, other other than that, man, Greg Hardy, Greg Hardy and Tutai Boston, obviously, for this. These guys have death in their hands. They got the death touch. It's just nasty. These guys can fucking knock out anybody. They hit hard. 
and going over here to tie to Ivasa. Um, coming off two wins against Skyscraper, Stefan Struve, and Harry Hunsucker. But, uh, man, I see this being a stand-up war. What do you think? Absolutely agree. I This is going to sound a lot more insulting than I intended to. So apologies if this gets out to Greg Hardy or tied to Ivasa's camps, which it won't. But uh, I don't see a lot of high-level skill from these guys. I don't see a whole lot of, like, wrestling exchanges, wrestling defense. I don't see a lot of crazy kicks. I don't see jujitsu submission attempts. I don't nothing like that. I see two guys that like you said hit harder than big old fucking Mack trucks. They're gonna meet in the middle of the octagon and it's gonna be first man to fall. That's a fact in my head. And looking ahead at my pick, I mean Taitui Voss is tough. I'm not sure if I consider him like a top tier heavyweight yet, but he's definitely moving his way up because the dude can take a punch and he can take a punch to deliver one with double, triple, quadruple the impact because he hits hard. I think Taitu Ivasa is going to end up walking out with this one here. And as a shout out to Brendan O'Reilly again, let's go get him, Aussies. All right. Um, I'm obviously going to have to disagree on this one. I'm going to take the former All-Pro. I believe he led the NFL in sacks one season. Prince of War, Greg Hardy. Interesting. Um, I, 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 I haven't seen anything, like you said, that makes me think like he's a superior like MMA athlete. However, he is a superior athlete regardless of any sport. The fact that he can come in and be like – uh, not, that's not a co-main, but like beyond the main card of a huge pay-per-view like this one. One of the biggest cards of the year. Yes, absolutely. Um, I just like I, I've watched all of his fights. He has progressed so well. Like his first UFC fight versus his last one where he lost nine day difference. He's such a better fighter. Has kind of made his game more well-rounded and like. He's a, a superior athlete, like I said, but like he's transforming that into like functional athleticism in this sport. So I just see him. I think he's just going to be too fast. Like at the end of the day, yeah, Tai Tuivasa hits like a motherfucker, but Greg Hardy's fast as fuck. He has that quick titch, quick twitch muscle fibers, and he can kind of slide out of the way. I think. If this doesn't end in the first round, this fight's probably going to fucking suck because these guys are going to get real tired real quick, and it's just going to be a fucking – somebody's going to lay on top of each other. But I don't think this is going to last more than, like, a round and a half. See, that's what that's kind of where I have it, too. And sadly for your boy, in my head, uh, I, I like you said, I question the gas tank on Greg Hardy – not because he's not a superior athlete, but just a lack of experience. And, you know, like you said, he's taking a spotlight position on an incredibly big card. And I just, I don't think it's going to get to him, but I think, like you said, both of these guys are going to have a mindset of we're not letting this get out of the first round. They're going to slug it out. Nobody's going to get knocked out in the first round. And then I think Greg Hardy's going to slow down faster than Ty Tuivasa is. And the pressure is just going to become, too much later in the fight. But by later in the fight, I mean midway through the second round. 
I, I mean, I just I don't really see uh, Greg Hardy getting caught in the first round. I mean, no. if you go back and watch the tape, Greg Hardy is he he's quick. Like not only is his hand speed quick, but his re- reaction timing, moving his body in such a way where he doesn't get clipped by these big, fucking you know, powerful men. I I, I think that he's putting it all together. I think that he's finally coming together as a complete mixed martial artist. And he's only in, what, year three or four, I believe. I mean, this guy, this guy, if he's been doing this his entire life, there would be no doubt in my mind that he'd be a top three contender right now. No, I, I absolutely agree. And, you know, like you said, from his first fight to now, he's improved immensely, like visibly gotten so much better. And like you said, again, if he had been doing this his whole life, he's probably a guy that we're talking about as a top contender just because he has so much serious athletic ability. But I, I just st- I, I stand by the fact that I think he's going to empty the tank in the first round. I think we're going to see a lot of punches, and both of these guys are going to be swinging as hard as they can. And I just think I think Greg Hardy's going to slow down first. I think that's my thing. I Give think- us the odds, bud. I'm looking at him right now, and like, like I said, everything is close. Greg Hardy's a plus 116 underdog, and Tai Tui Voss is your favorite at minus 130. So there's great value either way on this fight, whatever you decide to pick. Minus but 130 for Tai Tui Vasa and plus 116 for your boy. I mean, like you like you've been saying, I mean, like maybe this isn't the car that you want to get in to make some money. Entertainment purposes, entertainment purposes alone, this is something that you're going to want to spend your money on to see. This is going to be fantastic shit. But he's taking Tai Shui Tuivasa. And bam, bam, bitches. I'm taking the all-pro Greg Hardy. And I guess that takes us into our co-main, our big old bashers at 170. Oh, yeah, yeah, big bashers. Uh, we got Dorino Gilbert Burns, fresh off a title loss fight. Uh, coming at 19 and 4, he's standing 5 foot 10 with a 71 inch reach. And his opponent, the Wonder Boy, the Aegis Wonder Boy, Stephen Thompson, 16, 4 and 1. Coming in at 38 years old. Might as well just start calling him the Wonder Man. The uh, Wonder Man. Yeah. I don't know why the fuck his name is Wonder Boy. Anywho, coming at 6'10", 75 inch reach. So he has a reach advantage here. Uh, he's coming off two wins. I mean, I, obviously this guy's been around for quite some time. Has some quality names on his fucking scorecard. I mean... Already fought for a title. I think if he wins here, he's going to fight for another title here when he gets his turn. Um, Burns, on the opposite hand, just was coming off a uh, title defense or title loss where he was trying to take Kamara Usman, but she stunned him. It was a good fight, but you know Kamara showed us why he's the fucking best. Other than that, I mean, the guy's fucking stud. Fucking stud. Hasn't hasn't lost since uh lightweight bout versus Dan Hooker in twenty eighteen. So 
What are your thoughts? Let's see. What are my thoughts? I think I, I think this is the one that really gave me trouble this week. Like, I think I had a pretty, not easy time, but I think I had an easier time making up my mind about some of these spikes this week, except for this one. Because all week, I was wanting to pick Wonder Boy. I was thinking Wonder Boy. Last weekend, I'm with you in person. We're talking about fucking karate stances with an ex-UFC fighter. And I'm thinking, man, Wonder Boy is going to be too good for him. And then I rewatched some Gilbert, and I forgot how much I like Gilbert Burns as a 170 contender. Outside of maybe Covington, I think he's the most dangerous threat to Usman in the division. He dropped Usman in the first round. The fight before that, he dropped the former champion of the world, Tyron Woodley, in the first round. So at the end of the day, Gilbert Burns has been there, done that. He's gone, you know, he's gone, stepped up into a five-round fight with probably the best pound-for-pound fighter in the rankings right now. He fought a former world championship in a five-round fight, former world champion, excuse me. And I think taking a co-main event and having a three-round fight is going to benefit him more than it would benefit Wonder Boy. I think we're going to have to see a complete mixed martial arts performance from Gilbert Burns. I think they're going to have to be good boxing exchanges. He's going to have to be able to cut Wonder Boy off and stop the movement. I think he's going to have to shoot and use his wrestling. And even if it's not effective offensive wrestling to get Wonder Boy to use those arms, build up some lactic acid and take some sting off of those Wonder Boy punches. I'm doing it. I'm going with Dorino. I think Gilbert Burns is going to pull this one out. It might be a split decision. It might be a gritty, dirty, good 175 pound or 170 pound fight, but I'm going with Gilbert Burns. What's your thoughts there? Well, I think this might be the closest one to call on the entire card. Like, like you already picked up on. Think, fuck. I love Wonder Boy or Wonder Woman. Whatever the fuck you want to call him. <laughs> We're just hoping that uh, this is a good fight. But Wonder Boy, phenomenal stand-up game. Probably one of the best. I mean, the guy just moves like a fucking ballerina in the cage. However. He showed he's susceptible to getting taken down earlier on his career, um, namely Tyron Woodley, even though he went to a draw in their first fight. But he's kind of shored that up. You know, uh, recently, you know, he hasn't been taken down much at all. And, you know, I, I do appreciate that. However, I'm going to go with you with Burns here. I think Burns, he's just – he looks so good at 170. I mean – uh, just forget about the fight against Usman. There was so much emotion, so much tied up into that uh, fight that I just don't think that was an accurate representation of what he's actually like as a fighter if you haven't seen his previous fights. Before that, I mean, he yeah, looked like a world beater. It looked like he could take on anybody. I just, he has power in his hands. I, I, Stephen Thompson has power, don't get me wrong, but like he doesn't have Burns power like in his fist. Of course, Stephen Thompson can knock you out with his legs. But I think just Burns is going to find a way to make this an ugly, dirty fight. This is not going to be a stand-up war like Stephen Thompson wants it to be. And even if it is, like, if Burns can't take him down, he's going to make it an ugly fight. And that's just what's going to happen. And Burns is going to win the ugly fight. It's just going to be up against the cage in a clinch position. 
So that's kind of my thoughts. I'm going to go with you with Burns. We're rolling think, deep with the fucking Brazilian. I just think, you know, Burns outboxed Usman for a round. He held his own with Usman for about two and a half rounds. You know, he looked better against Usman than Masvidal did the last time. Somebody who, despite his loss, is still one of the best stand-up, just straight-up boxers in the 170-pound division. Mm-hmm. But kind of like you said, I don't think Wonder Boy has the same pop on his punches that Usman does. So I don't think there's going to be any hesitation from Gilbert to get in the pocket and throw with him. And like you said, I think cage work, I think shooting for takedowns, even if he's not going to get them, is going to be important. And as long as he can continue to move the head and not become a standing target for Wonder Boy to kick in the head, I just, I think. Gilbert Burns is going to find a way to win it. And I think Gilbert Burns has pretty much solidified himself as a main event fighter, a top contender in the division, and somebody you definitely are going to want to keep your eyes on looking forward. I, I think the only X factor that we didn't mention here in this fight specifically is that Wonderboy has to know this is his last shot. Like, he's too highly ranked. He's going against another top five guy. He's top five himself. He has to be going in there like, look, if I win this, I know I'm getting my title shot. Or, like, at least, you know, at some point down the line, he's getting a title shot against Usman if he wins this. So I, I don't know where that drive is going to play in, but it's going to have an effect on this fight. And I think Wonderboy might come out fucking steaming. But give us the odds, Zach. Well, I'm doing it for the first time tonight, taking a dog. Gilbert's plus 145, and Wonderboy is minus 149. So, again, bigger odds than the last fight, but still, you know, in the grand scheme of things, very close. Very competitive fight, it looks like, from the odds maker's perspective. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued that they gave the underdog status to Burns. Well, let's see. Let's see how this has progressed. Yeah, Burns started at minus 115 on june 18th and by july 5th he's up to plus 145 so all the money's going in on wonder boy it seems like it sounds like everybody thinks wonder boy is going to win this but you heard it here first Dorino gilbert burns from the boys here at the calf kick experience and i will be clipping this and posting it on my instagram to say i told you so after we're right you heard you heard but Anywho, take us to the big to daddy. Fucking event. Everybody's favorite. The guy that can fuck your mom and you wouldn't even care. His name's fucking Conor McGregor. Proper 12. What can you say? This guy does what he wants, fucks who he wants. Champ shit. Champ. But the notorious Conor McGregor. Let's really, let's really give this one a talk through, though, Gage. You can you can kick it off this time, but let's 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 get serious for a second. Let's talk some actual fighting and shit. Okay, well, this fight's. Uh, let me let me give y'all let me give y'all a little visual actually because you know set, every, set the not, scene. Yeah, we're gonna set the scene here because not everybody knows. Anywho, we have the diamond, Dustin Poirier, looking like I don't know fucking Bruce Willis right here, fucking bald as <laughs> shit. <laughs> Anywho, he's coming at 27-6. Wiley veteran. The 
number one contender in the deepest, hardest, most fucking bestest fucking division in all of mixed martial arts, the UFC lightweight division. Uh, he's coming in at 5'9", with a 73-inch reach. Obviously coming off a win against Conor McGregor and another stellar fucking win against the hangman, Dan Hooker. What Obviously fight? lost the title bout against Habib Nurmagomedov. That's the fucking notorious Conor McGregor there, folks. 22-5. and five. The first ever simultaneous double belt champion. UFC gold, not one, but two fucking times at the same time. The Irishman is coming at 5'9 and 74 inch reach. So these guys are almost identical. Look at that. $41.8 million in the fucking bank. He's coming off a loss against Dustin Poirier. And, uh, you know, as a win, obviously, this, this, after he got all the money, we'll talk about this. We'll go a little more into deeper. But I think that uh, this is going to be a hyped-ass fight. I don't think it's necessarily going to be a fucking war. But it's going to be interesting to see how these boys play it out. I think they're going to be a little bit more cautious. I think they both felt each other's power. You want to get into that a little bit? No, absolutely. I think that's a great segue into what I was kind of going to get at, is I think they both tasted each other's power. They've done this twice now. You know, this is the trilogy fight, the big number three. But, you know, the big thing to talk about here is the last fight was only six months ago. The last fight was in January. You know, so what, seven months ago, six months ago, something like that. But I think the big piece of evidence I, I use to argue here is we've seen Connor rematch one person. We saw Connor fight Nate Diaz twice. The first fight, Connor basically went out there, tried to knock his head off, and then realized, holy shit, Nate Diaz has a granite chin, and I'm not going to make him go away the way I want him to. Excuse me. I think Connor went out in January, hit Dustin with his best shot more than once, and realized, holy shit, this guy's not going the way going away the way I'd like him to. So you look at Connor versus Nate Diaz too. Connor makes the conscious strategic decision to not empty the tank in the first round, take a little bit off his punches. And then you see the guy kind of start moving. You see him start touching him up. And then you see Connor go five rounds with Nate Diaz and winning a decision, something that a lot of people weren't even confident that he was able to pull off fighting a whole five rounds and not getting exhausted. So I see a similar thing here, actually. I agree. I don't know if it's going to be a war where we see, haymakers and a whole bunch of blood or anything like that. But I would not be surprised if this fight ended up going to a decision and we just saw both of these guys touch each other up the whole time. Um, Just kind of piggyback back off that. For 155 pounds, both these guys have the death touch in their fucking hands. Like, no doubt, they both knocked each other out um, in their previous two fights. But I think... If you go back and watch our interview last week with Brendan, he said, I think he could have been more right. If we see Karate Connor out there, I think there's a great chance that he comes out victor victorious because I went back and watched their last rematch in January. Um, Connor, I think he got hit, I counted 13 times, 
just solid fucking calf kicks, um, which we've experienced from UFC fighter. They don't fucking yeah. do good. Can't we've experienced them from each other, amateur, not even working out people until, you know, Gage started working out again. I guess I got to get back on the train, but don't feel good, man, regardless. No, from a UFC fighter, don't feel good. And he gave, he gave us probably 50%. They gave me each other a hundred percent and only took fucking about 10 until Connor's leg was compromised. Uh, other than that, like I, I think Dustin's going to win his <laughs> sounds so fucking gay, but his girth and his size is it's noticeable. Like his jab, his hands, it looked like that hurt. Not to say that Connor doesn't like Connor touched him up very well in his last fight. I mean, there was moments where I was like, holy shit, like Connor could have ended it if he hit one or two more punches at the end of his combos. So I, I just, I don't see Connor necessarily changing his style, especially like why? I mean, yeah, he doesn't want to get knocked out again, but is he going to go back to the hungry dog that he was? I, I, I don't think so personally. I think Dustin's going to come out and he's going to get that money and then he's going to go, give me that fucking belt. And he's going to go tag up old Charlie Olives. Oh, baby. I love a good disagreement. I love a good bout between us on this show. Because I just have to touch on the fact that the whole narrative since Connor lost has been the guy's got money. The guy's got everything that you could ever want. He doesn't even want to be a fighter anymore. Like, just let him hang it up. He's done. He doesn't have the drive anymore. But we all, ne- we all neglect that Conor McGregor wears a 24-karat gold necklace with a lion on it. He's a fucking king. He's a fucking champion, and he's a proud motherfucker. He's not somebody that's going to – like, personally, I think he's going to move to 170 before he's done. I think we're going to see a weight division move. And the only reason we haven't seen him move to 170 yet is because he lost to Dustin Poirier, and he said, I got to get that one back before I do anything. I don't think we're going to see Mr. Nice Guy. I don't think we're going to see Connor, who is trying to buddy buddy up to Dustin. I think Connor's been in the, you know, behind the scenes almost for the first time in his career. He's not really doing media. He's not really up in people's faces. I just think he's put the work into the conditioning. And I agree. I think the whole karate stance McGregor thing is a farce. Like, yes, do you want to see Connor McGregor move more? Absolutely. Ideally, I don't want to see him check a single calf kick. I'd like to see him move and get out of the way and not be there when the calf kick comes, which is what I think is going to happen. I think we're going to see Connor come out. He's going to be bouncy. He's going to move. He's going to be in great shape. He's going to say, I haven't not fought in over a year. I haven't fought since January, which is pretty doable, pretty realistic. There's there's not going to be any ring rust. He's not bringing his family, which is a big thing for me, too. It's not oh, daddy's on stage, Jack or Connor Jr., whatever his kid's name is, is sitting in the front row. I can't be a crazy person because I have to be daddy right now. No, he's coming to be Dustin Poirier's daddy this weekend. I think we're going to see five rounds. I think it might get boring, but I think we're going to see Connor walk out with a decision. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm as big as Connor fan as anybody. Like, I just – I've seen the decline – I, not it's not so great, but like I just I'm like he has to convince me otherwise. Like if he comes out and fucking wins this, I'll just, 
I'll stick my foot in my mouth and be like, all right, Conor McGregor's taking that fucking title back. And, you know, whatever. I'll, I'll go back to being a Conor stand. But, like you said, man, he better be bouncing on that front that front foot. He better be fucking moving. He better be getting out of the way because Dustin knows the kicks there, the calf kick. Welcome to the calf kick experience. No, I – I can absolutely see it. You know, we've seen Dustin beat Justin Gaethje, who's a pretty good stand-up boxer. Dustin beat Max Holloway twice, who is one of, if not the best, stand-up boxer, just straight up in the UFC. Yeah. But, you know, I just – I see a flip. Excuse me. I'm, I'm noticing things that I feel like are going unnoticed in terms of Dustin's doing all the media, Dustin with his family, Dustin's taking pictures with people at the airport. Like, I just think he's becoming – not he's underestimating Conor McGregor, but I think we've all given in to the idea of Conor McGregor the character and not necessarily looked at McGregor the fighter because one of the big things, one of the things that I haven't touched yet is that Dustin was biting on all of his feints in that second fight. Like, that's how he was earning – that's how he was getting that success was by feint faint, boom, like one, two, move. Like if Connor's active with the hands and active with his footwork and doesn't get lazy and doesn't get tired, I just, I think he's going to win this fight. I just have a hunch and maybe it'll lose me some money, but I have a hard time picking against Connor at this point. No, I can't, I can't agree with that, but let's get into the championship five minute round. Let me set my timer. I got, I got a question I want to ask you. Let's run it up. If y'all are new to the show, we end every show just like a mixed martial art bouts with five minutes of back and forth, questioning, headbutting, mental sparring, however you decide to name it. But I have five minutes locked up. You ready to fight? Yes. Let's do this shit. Ready? Go. All right, pal. So you, you mentioned just a minute ago about Conor McGregor moving up to 170. Welterweight. Why have we never seen him back at 145? I feel like he dominated 145 more than anybody. I think he's been the most dominant person at 145, maybe other than Max Holloway. I mean, I, I get the weight cuts tough, but he was just such a stud, and that's where he beat Dustin the first time. What are your thoughts on that? No, I, I absolutely agree, and this is something where I'll see and kind of go back and double-cross on something I said. You know, I think Connor has so much pride and is such a proud person. He's not going to let himself lose this fight. He's going to figure out a way to win this one. But, like, being somebody that has had success and being somebody that has made millions and millions of dollars and showed up to his last fight on a fucking yacht, I just think there's certain things you're willing to sacrifice and certain things you're not. Like, I think he's willing to make the sacrifices to win a fight at 155, but I think that weight cut is just unhealthy for him especially considering how good his physique looks at 155 and how much better he said he looks and feels when he's at 170. So I think we'll see a 170 Connor before we'll see a 145 Connor again. Yeah, I, I don't think we'll ever see a 145 Connor again. But goddamn, was that shit fucking beautiful to watch when he was there. I don't know if it was just because he was bigger than everybody or he had the fucking touch of a fucking death angel in his hands when he fought that division. Fucking hey, he made people look stupid, and I fucking love that. No, absolutely, and I don't 
think by any means he's going to make Dustin look stupid. We didn't touch the odds, so I'm going to drop him right in there. But Connor's at plus 115, the dog, and Dustin is your favorite at minus 120. So I don't remember the last time I saw Connor McGregor go into a fight as an underdog. Maybe Khabib. Like, obviously, he was a big dog to Floyd, but that's outside the point. I just I, I think he feels largely disrespected and largely disappointed in what happened in January, and I think he's coming to get it back, man. But talk to me a little bit about Francis and this heavyweight championship, this interim belt. 93 days before they strip Francis Ngannou of his undisputed heavyweight title. What are the thoughts there? I think the UFC knows that they're fucking daddy and that they can make the most money and that they are going to make the most money. Like our buddy Brendan O'Reilly said, the UFC does what the money does. They go where the money goes. I mean, at the end of the day, we have a few conspiracy theories about what we think is happening here. Maybe they're trying to have leverage for a John Jones versus Francis super fight. I mean, obviously they couldn't agree on getting Derek Lewis in there with Francis. So why not? I mean, you take a guy that just won. He's 9-0, I believe. Stud of an athlete. I don't think he's top tier or even championship quality, but he's undefeated. And UFC hasn't had an undefeated heavyweight in quite some time, especially with that many wins. I mean, they might just have a faux Grand Prix kind of deal going. You're going to get John Jones versus Francis gets the winner of, you know, uh, Derek Lewis versus Surreal Gone, I think that would be fucking phenomenal, but I don't think it's actually going to happen. I mean, also, Stipe Miocic has to feel like the lot, odd man out here. Well, I, like I said earlier, I only have 60 seconds, so I'm going to keep it crisp. Everybody's happy here. Francis said, I don't want to fight until September. Dana said, fine, you don't have to fight until September. Great. I think Dana put on a show to where Surreal Gone and Derek Lewis are both very willing to be active and will fight at the beginning of August and would turn around and fight again at the end of September, at the beginning of October. I don't think that'll be a problem. But Francis wins because he doesn't have to fight. He can stay in Cameroon. He can enjoy his belt. He can take the time he needs. Derek gets to walk out in front of his home crowd, 25,000 people cheering for him. As and loud as it's going to be, he's going he's gonna to sell out the crowd. And but Derek's a marketable us. champion. Huh? I said, and potentially us. And potentially us. Derek's a marketable champion. Surreal Gone looks like the freaking Michelangelo statue of David. He's a great fighter. He's not bad on the mic. He's a marketable champ. Both fights with Francis are marketable. And then, like you said, Stipe's probably not going to fight till 22. John's probably not going to fight till 2022. So they both get to rest and get better. And then Francis will turn around and fight one of them. But that's time. We're done fighting. We're done freaking mentally going at each other. I think it was pretty close to a draw there. I'm not really sure how the ref's going to score it. We'll have to go to the judges. But um, y'all heard it here first. I'm going to go with Conor McGregor. I'm taking the the, the notorious. Gage is taking Dustin Poirier. We're We're both big balls in Cowtown, locked in on Gilbert Burns together. And... Looks like this is another episode of the Calf Kick Experience, and we're going to be signing out. Number 13 is out.